gosh. God is so good. How are y'all doing? Guys, yes. I just this has been a, a, an exciting seat. Guys, you got to realize I, I knew Pastor Joe pre beard, pre Ivana, pre Alaska, like I just pre everything good in it. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's it's such an honor to be here. Um, this church has been a friend to me for for many years and a friend to our church. So I bid you greetings from the other cool guy also named Pastor Mark, Pastor Mark and Jemima Varagis. Those are like, that's like my spiritual mom and dad. Kingdom City is my church home. And uh, it is such a pleasure to be here. Um, man, that homeless ministry update dang near messed me up. Like I was, I was just holding back the blubbers. Just, you know what I mean? Just, just right there. Um, and you know how, it, see, I'm going to be honest with you. Coming into a new place to, to bring a word is daunting because there's always this thing where you're like, God, is this the right word for this house? Like, am, did, I, did I just stuff this up? Or, like, is this what the people actually need to hear? And that, that was, like, just when the moment just dropped. You know what I mean? And I'm excited because... Uh, guys, in 2005, I was homeless. In November 27th of 2005, I checked into a drug rehab in Los Angeles, California for 13 months. And that's where God put the pieces of my life together. And I'm so grateful there was a house that was willing to invest in loving the unlovable. Because you never know what is to be unlocked in the person that is so easy to walk by. I was 19 years old, had been kicked out of university, had made every mistake imaginable, and basically was outworking my daddy issues on the streets trying to find myself, trying to find father figures, trying to find family, trying to find love. And I kept just doing dumb thing over and over and over again until I had nothing and was nowhere. And then there was a church that had a ministry to love somebody like me. And I wish I had more photos of that season, but... The church not only did the homeless ministry, they fully funded the rehab. Graduated from that in 2007. And they gave me a scholarship to Bible college. Failed Bible college the first year. Don't clap yet. <laughs> Just giving you my ministry pedigree, my qualifications. Just want to calm down all the Pharisee spirits that Wonder if I deserve to be up here. I failed Bible college twice, to be honest. Third time's the charm. Look at God. <laughs> and one Sunday morning, being a connect group leader in that house, met a girl in the lobby that had a funny accent from some random country I'd never heard of called Australia. <laughs> and... Uh, that was my amazing wife that I met that day. Actually, we got a photo. We got a photo of, of my squad. I think we have that. that, that that's me. That, that's, that's my gang right there. 
And uh, and that's my, my, my oldest daughter here, Kehlani. She's 10, my middle princess. She is crazy. Uh, so and, and then, I mean, this is Kehlani, Zion, and Shiloh. So, so actually, that's my youngest in the middle. Look at me. I'm a great dad. I actually know which of my children is which. Um, and then my middle princess, she's right there. On the, so that is Zion. And that's the gang. And we, my wife and I, this year, uh, actually, uh, this month, we will be thir- 13 years married. So how, how cool is God? Um, but the, the reason why I feel to say this is because, guys, you literally never know who is just one moment with God away from walking into destiny and purpose. You never know. It's a f- funny, fun fact, random, random, but true fact. You know who got saved the same year Hitler rose to power? Billy Graham. Hitler, as a kid, had a horrible church experience. Had a dad that didn't really value God. Hitler failed art school, was rejected twice. And we know what he ended up doing. Billy Graham had a dad that saw some random ministry one day that wanted to come into town and said, cool, you can hold one of your tent meetings on my farm. A year later, that young kid drunk walked into a service, and we know what happened with Billy Graham's life. Church, you have no idea that you are sometimes one moment, one loving your neighbor moment away from unlocking destiny and unlocking purpose. Like, imagine had there been a church that was alive and hungry in in Germany, that a young man broken who just wanted to go to art school. Imagine how our world could have been different had one church just loved one person differently. Like, and more in this area, do we understand what's, I I haven't even, I've sort of gotten to my message already, but listen, my message title is Love Thy Neighbor this morning. And I wanted, um, that's right, let's rev those engines in Jesus' name. It's time to go. That's prophetic right there. You know what I'm saying? It's time to get into it. Come on, somebody. But I need to say, come on, come on, you got to get into it. I'm telling you, only, see, God makes the best special effects sometimes. Um, but because the church was willing to love a neighbor, they loved me to Christ. They loved me to home. I was loved into a great house that valued people. I was loved into Kingdom City. Kingdom City in Malaysia loved on 15 university students that were from a country called Botswana. Those 15 students in a Muslim nation found a church brave enough to be a church in a Muslim nation and actually spread the gospel in their uni, got degrees, went back home to Africa, and wanted to bring that same revival back home to Africa. Pastor Mark will tell you, Africa wasn't really on the radar for Kingdom City. Pastor Mark's an Indian guy, born in Singapore, grew up half his life in Malaysia, grew up the, his adult li- into his adult life in Perth, Western Australia, went to Malaysia to plant Kingdom City. That's kind of where we thought the influence of our church would sort of be, you know? But next thing you know, sometimes God will ask you to love someone you didn't plan on loving. 
He'll ask you to do something you didn't plan on doing. See, today, I hope by the end of my message, someone in this room, you're going to be willing to step outside of your comfort zone because there's a city that needs to be loved, but it might require you to do something a little bit different. It might ask you to do something a little bit uncomfortable. It might ask you to do something a little bit out of the norm. And so here's what happened. An email comes to Pastor Mark from Botswana, from a little internet cafe, and it was this young boy named Matthews Papi Houtsenaleoway from a tiny farm in a town called Letlakane who had experienced Kingdom City in Malaysia, went back home, and then he says, Pastor Mark, Esh Pastor, can we please, can you please do a Kingdom City in Botswana? That's what the email said. Send. <laughs> Kid you not. Funny thing is, when that email comes in, Pastor Mark was actually on his way to South Africa for the very first time in his life. Writes back, this is crazy. I'm actually on my way to Africa right now. This could be God. This little boy from a farm in Lethlakane, in a town of 20,000 where the cows outnumber the people, gets the money together where all his friends had a, had a, that had experienced Kingdom City in Malaysia, and they catch a 26-hour bus ride each way from Botswana to Cape Town just to catch up with Pastor Mark for four hours in between the conference sessions. He was so blown away by the hunger, the call, that at the end of that one coffee, he's like, you know what, go for it. You've got my blessing. And Matthew's poppy in a railway took a 26-hour bus ride back home, and he birthed Kingdom City in Botswana. And what started with 15 crazy uni students, and they got a church to about 60 people. And then my wife and I, we were able to go over there and help and be part of the launch. Then the next year, we went back over for the one-year anniversary. That's when God just showed up and shut it down and showed out. And the Lord literally was like, Blake, this is home. And next thing you know, I'm doing something uncomfortable. I'm doing something out of the norm. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I was the guy that was like, God, I'll live for you, but I'm from L.A., Lord. I ain't doing no mud huts, God. I, I'm not doing no none of this weird stuff. You know, I ain't eating no bugs. You know what I'm saying, God? Next minute, I'm in Africa, and I ate bugs. Literally, you know what I mean? It was like Timon and Pumbaa. I'm cra- it was crazy. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Was I willing to love people that were outside of my scope, outside of my space, outside of my sphere? I didn't, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have like these, I didn't have like burning dreams. I wasn't like hugging small African children and like saying like, dear God, please, I want to move there one day. That wasn't in the plan. But I was so hungry to do something for God. And somebody loved me when it maybe wasn't in their plan. How could I say no to the chance and the opportunity? And in 2007, my wife and I, we arrived to Botswana to an empty tin shed. Put, put that first, uh, that empty, that this was what we, this, this was the first building we found. It was literally the ugliest building that we could have possibly scraped together, but it was what was available. It was in a great area. And in this, what was, it was a truck, 
warehouse to fix trucks. But again, there's no hydraulics in Africa, y'all. There was no lifts. There was no beds. So what they did is they dug an eight-foot ditch under the truck, and they would fix it that way, and that's how they would do things over there. And we converted this literally grease, this, this grease pit to a move of God. We had a seven-year plan for how long we thought this building would last, how we could scale, how we could grow, what we thought we could do. Let me show you what God did in less than 18 months. Go to the next photo. This is what happened. And we were doing five services a Sunday in this building. It was, it was absolutely ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? And then here's the crazy thing. We broke the poverty mindset over the people that forever had seen sponsor children and sponsor ministry as the way to go. Say, no, no, no. Y'all going to pay for the next building. You can do it. God has positioned you. You were blessed. Now let's be a blessing. See, the moment you love the unlovable and break them out of their space, then you can begin to unlock the bigness of what God wants to do in them next. You see, see, homeless ministry today, ministry school tomorrow, they're changing the world next week. That's how this thing happens. And then let me show you what God did. Here's the next building that they purchased. Put the next photo up. This was a grocery store, 1,440 square meters. And this, this bad boy, and then put the, go to the next photo. This is what happened. This is every Sunday. Now they're doing three services a Sunday in this building, and it's moving. It's a complete revival. Then we were able to plant in Zimbabwe, and it was in Zambia. Now it's in South Africa. Like, this is what started. And guys, in 2005, I was homeless. Can we love thy neighbor today? If you got your Bibles, I'm going to skip a little bit because God's doing something cool right now. Let's see. Holy Spirit, what are we doing? Thank you, Jesus. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 30. This is the classic story of the Good Samaritan. This story was the response to Jesus being questioned by a prideful person in the audience. Well, hey, who's my neighbor? You know, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Who exactly is my neighbor? And we see Jesus respond with this story. And he said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him going over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man and if this bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? That's what Jesus asked and the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, 
now go and do the same. Let me tell you why. This story is powerful on many levels. One, it's a great story. But two, this story once and for all eliminated every bit of precedent that had been in the nation when it came to status, when it came to where you were in life, when it came to race, when it came to finance. This one story equalized once and for all God's heart and response for how we as believers need to be as the church. What do I mean? Well, Samaritans themselves, if you don't know, were the byproduct of war. Their entire existence was manufactured by the Syrian army. What do I mean by it? Well, when Israel and Jerusalem was captured and most of the nation was exiled, similar to what we've seen and heard about stolen generation and everything that's happened generations ago, You know what the Syrians did? They intentionally dragged in foreigners from other nations, forced them to intermarry and intermix in an attempt to kill the bloodline and muddy the waters of God's people. And over 400 years, a new species, if you will, a new race came about called the Samaritan. Then next thing you know, 400 years later, God's people begin to come back home, and they're starting to move into their land, and they're greeted by new neighbors. And these Samaritans were an interesting mix. A little bit of Jerusalem, a little bit of everything else. Forced into this land due to war, due to slavery against their will, made to settle in Jerusalem, formed something from what they heard about the God of Israel and whatever they brought with them. And then next thing you know, God's people, the rightful owners, show back up, and it begins a bloody racial battle. Historians actually tell us in Jewish culture the absolute worst thing you could ever call another Jew was a demon-possessed Samaritan. Like there were swear words talking about someone's mother, demon-possessed Samaritan. That's the, like, that's how hated and despised, because you got to realize the Samaritan's very existence reminded Jews of what had been done to them. Their very breath was a reminder that we were taken from our land, and now you're here. And so for Jesus to tell a story where the words good and Samaritan were in the same sentence, defied every odd, crushed every stereotype, spat in the face of every prejudice, and established a new way. And you got to remember, the Jews are mad because at the same time, they are under Roman occupation. And in Rome, 
there were eight classes of citizen. Israelites were number eight. And if you looked in the eyes at someone from a higher class, that was considered a sign of disrespect. And you could be murdered on sight, no questions asked. So what do hurt people do? They hurt other people. So because they were being stumped on by the Romans, the Samaritans became the new punching bag to let out all their pain and aggression on. So imagine you're a Samaritan in Jesus' day, and the eighth-class citizens think you are the scum of the earth. Just to paint you a picture of what was happening in the culture of this day. And then Jesus tells this story. And you got to understand, the priest, similar to a doctor and a nurse, there was a Jewish form of a Hippocratic oath. You had a responsibility as a priest. You had a moral obligation to save a life. But at the same time, literally just like Joe said, if you touch someone that was possibly dead, you risk becoming ceremonially unclean. So because the priest didn't want to risk the inconvenience of not being able to do his job, what, 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 is, what do I mean? He was on his way to the temple to be a pastor. And God forbid anything get in the way of him being a pastor. God forbid anything get in the way of me being a Christian. That's too much of an inconvenience to let me walk on by. The same thing with the Levite. He wouldn't have had the same requirements, but he too should have looked at one of his own fellow countrymen. But maybe for him, maybe it wasn't pride and inconvenience for him like it was for the priest. Maybe for the Levite it was just fear because this road was notoriously dangerous. It was known, it was a common thing that bandits would hide on this road and rob and kill and murder and do all that. So maybe it was fear. And sometimes I feel like it's pride and it's fear that the enemy uses to rob a move of God of its future inheritance. It's pride and it's fear. God, I'll be honest with you. This, this, this house is beautiful. The, the moment I walked in, there's a grace, there's a joy, there's a beautiful atmosphere here. Guys, the only thing that can stop you is pride and fear. You know what I mean? In this mission season, we're ramping up into evangelism. We're trying to take ground. You know what I mean? We want to fill this house. There's things that God wants to do in this city, in this town, in this neighborhood, in this region, in this church specifically. Pride and fear are going to be the only things that get rid of what God wants to do. Because I'm going to be honest with you guys. Somebody like me is outside right now. See, I love Billy Graham's story, but you know the guy I really want to meet? Is the guy whose name we don't even know? who when Billy was drunk with his friends outside of that tent revival and looked and the place looked packed and was about to walk away. And the story says that one usher, one guy, grabbed a few empty chairs and told him and his friends, hey, Billy, no, no, come on, we, we got space for you. Come sit right here. Like, imagine that guy when he shows up to heaven. 
Like, cool, like, like, yeah, Billy Graham. Like, we all know Billy Graham is Billy Graham, right? But imagine the usher when he gets to heaven and he got a commission with interest on everything Billy did. Come on, somebody, talk to me right here. Can you imagine when that guy gets there, like, who the heck are all y'all? They're like, we just want to thank you. For what? You're the reason why we're here? I don't know you. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine the moment the usher gets to heaven and millions and hundreds and thousands are like, thank you for what you did because your generosity, your humility, your faith, your obedience unlocked someone else who was that able to change the world. See, I'm telling you, hear me, there's a power. See, today I want to celebrate the unsung heroes. See, I, I, love, Pastor, I love Pastor Mark, and I, I mean Pastor Mark very good, but I love Pastor Mark Elbnorp as well. Anyone with the name Pastor and Mark is just a good person. They just, they're just doing, they're, you know, they're, there's two for two. They're doing great right about now. You know what I'm saying? But check this out. See, people are starting to find out about what God's doing in our church, and I love it. But you know the person who I'm so grateful for? There's a person whose name you'll, you, you would have never known, and it's Margaret. See, Margaret is Pastor Mark's mom. And the doctor passionately encouraged her multiple times to abort her first child, which was Pastor Mark, because she had German measles. The doctor said, this baby will be born deaf, blind, most likely dead, and if it even survives, it will have some form of deformity or disability for the rest of its life. You don't want to keep, literally, that would have been in, in, in packaged in doctor wisdom packaging, legit the voice of Satan. This baby is not worth keeping. To this day, Mama Margaret bursts into tears every time Pastor Mark has a birthday. Because only God knows how close she would have, like, hear me, the entire family was unanimously supportive. Margaret, this is the right thing to do. And she made a choice to risk living an inconvenient life because she felt God had a plan for her baby. And now that baby is a guy I call a father. Imagine when Mama Margaret gets to heaven. See, we have no idea the small things that we do. See, I, I love the Good Samaritan because I truly feel he may have been the only person that truly sympathized with the half-dead guy on the side of the road. Because I bet you there was a day where he was beaten and laying there and no one came for him. See, I'm going a slightly different way this morning, so shout out to the amazing team in the back that got slides, and I'm just trying to be obedient right now. That homeless ministry video messed me up. I had the privilege to teach and lecture in a, for evangelism in our church, so our students globally, and we wanted to do something different last year, and we wanted to pioneer this process of everyday evangelism because for too long,
people looked at the evangelists as these superheroes. And so, cool, let's just support the evangelist and everyone else will just be, you know, little normal people. And it created this myth of superhero Christianity in our church. And we're like, we got to stomp this out. We've got to kill this. We've got to stop this. And funny thing is, if you read scripture, when it talks about the ministry and the fivefold gifts, you know what it says the primary, their primary function is? The equipping of the saints. The primary function of the evangelist was not to do all the evangelizing and everybody watch. The primary function was for him, if he was graced, if he was anointed, to equip every other believer that sometimes thought, oh, well, that's a little bit out of my scope. That's a little bit out of my wheelhouse. That's a little bit above my pay grade. And so I literally, like, in worship, I just felt this. I want to run you through some six styles of evangelism that we taught. And I need you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and make this thing personal because I feel like God's going to unlock something in this house. I, you know, I, I was praying during worship. I pray for the day when every single person in this room at least once signs up and joins that homeless ministry. I pray for the day when every single person in this house at least once realizes that evangelism is not something exclusive. It's not something elite. It's not something only for those built like it. There's no personality type that suits evangelism. There's no person that, oh, well, that, that's free. We, we've got to eliminate this because, again, what's really robbing us of our moment of influence? Pride and fear. So the number one style is the direct style. Like, bro, you need Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that, that's pretty straightforward. Direct evangelism, powerful, can be used, can be done well. It, it can be done in, in great ways. But, again, I'll be honest with you, that's one of the least common versions. See, the next one that we got to talk about is the intellectual style of evangelism. This is where God's going to, I love, again, Dr. Stone, I love the guy coming literally next week. Why? Because what's going to happen, he's going to be able to speak to people on an intellectual level, but it's not for everyone to think that he's so cool and we're so normal. It's how do we get equipped to have real conversation with people when they have real questions and they, and they want to really know what's happening with our world. One of my favorite things when I'm talking to kids about the power of words and the power of that, that how science backs up God speaking a world into existence is that we know in literally every cell of us in our bodies, there's molecules. Those molecules are made of atoms. In an atom, there's electrons surrounding it. In those electrons, there's a nucleus. In that nucleus are protons and neutrons. And inside of that nucleus on a, on a super, super small level, they've discovered, you know what's cool about it? They've discovered sound waves. Because God spoke a world into existence. And at the core of every cell in your body is sound. How cool is that? And a Japanese scientist by the name of Masaru Emoto used an experiment where he spoke to crystals. He spoke in water. He would freeze water in different samples, look at it under a microscope, and this guy would actually speak death over one set, speak life over another. He said, you can YouTube it. You can see it. They've done it. It's called the Rice Experiment. YouTubers and influencers, TikTokers have done it. It's crazy. But here's the cool thing. After 30 days, the set of water... And the rice that was soaked in that water that they fermented, it fermented dark. 
The set they spoke life over fermented a beautiful golden color. And the set they ignored just began to turn green. See, some people are dying because nothing has been spoken over them at all. So again, there's a beauty. Guys, the creation evangelizes. This world speaks to the reality that a intelligently divine creator. So you got the direct approach. If you like to geek out and talk about information and facts again, you got the intellectual approach. But then you've got the testimonial approach. It's actually what I'm going to be talking about more tonight as I share a bit more of my testimony. One of the most powerful things we've got to unlock is what God has done in your life. We've got too many believers in the house that God did brain surgery on you and you're trying to Photoshop the scars. And you actually haven't shared the bigness of what God has actually brought you from. This is a hospital waiting room. I'm just the nursing staff. He's the great physician. And, and the real pandemic is in the church when the doctor says, oh, God will see you now. No one wants to stand up and admit they need help. This is the body of Christ that we've got to shift. Your testimony will unlock something that this world desperately needs. And for some of you in this room, you are a living, breathing miracle, and no one actually knows what God actually did for you. Watch what that will unlock in the house. Next, you have the relational approach, which is just by building relationship, being a friend, being a colleague, being a coworker, being a fellow student, being that classmate, being that actual neighbor. And at the right time, if you lean into relationships, imagine what God can do. See, I'm not saying you got to run around with a coffee table-sized Bible and two liters of extra virgin olive oil and be ready to pounce at all. I'm not saying you got to do that. But here's the truth. Here's my question. Do your neighbors, like your actual, like where you live right now, the neighbor to your left, the neighbor to your right, the neighbor across the street, and those two houses on the diagonal, do they, a, do they know your name? And do they at least know what God you believe in? Do they at least know, hey, I'm George, it's my wife Linda, and we just want to let you know, like, hey, you know, we actually go to Emerge Church just down the road. And if you ever want to chat, if anything's ever going on, we're, hey, we're praying for you. And we just live over there, come just knock on the door anytime. That would bring revival. Like if your neighbor was about to end their life, do they at least know that hope is next door? And lastly, the two that are so powerful, the invitational approach where you say, hey, you want to come check out Emerge at Murrayfield? Like it's, it's my home. It's pretty awesome, and we should, we should probably come check this out. Like, would you, my wife and I, we can take you. Like, we'd love to just come. Maybe we could do dinner after the service. Is that okay? And possibly the most powerful one that requires the most humility is the serving approach. Like, question, if you're a guy in here and you do a little bit of the lawn mowing around your house, just, just raise your hand right now. Just raise your hand. If, if you do a little bit of lawn mowing, just shoot, just, just nice and present. This is not the altar call. Come on now. Just get that hand up. Just for this. Come on. Shoot up. Come on. Come on. Strong. Come on. Lawn mower, guys. Come on. Or, or if you do a little bit of lawn mowing. If, if you're a mom too, I don't want to exclude anybody. Watch this. Okay. Here. Hands down. You know what the most powerful things you could do? Simple service. This is a simple tip right now. 
when you're mowing your lawn, instead of geometrically making sure your lawn is only mowed and ignoring the neighbor's blades of grass that are staring at you, imagine you do a couple meters of theirs just to make it look beautiful. And when they come outside, hey, what the heck, did, what, what, what's going on? Hey, bro, I just wanted to love on you and just make sure you're good. Just, hey, just listen, we're neighbors, we're here. That is so simple. But imagine today as I close, if the team could join me, imagine today if you unlocked a house where we will love our neighbors like never before. I'm telling you, God's heart is so heavy for this room right here. Messed up my whole message, but I need you to realize this. For everyone, let it start with the relational approach. Build relationship with the world around you. Then as you let the Holy Spirit give you the, it's like fishing, legit. That's why God asks guys to be fishers of men, because what are you doing fishing? You wait, and you just put out the right bait. That's all you do. It starts with relationship. Then maybe the Holy Spirit will help it lean into an invite. Then maybe as you build a little bit more, you might be able to share a testimony. Then you might serve the person. This works for coworkers too. Some of y'all complain about your job, but when was the last time you took a little bit of oil and anointed the desks at your job? When was the last time you prayed over that boss's door that you hate? When was the last time you spoke in tongues and just walked around your office a little bit? See, when was the last time you actually leaned in and prayed for the betterment of the employee that you know is gunning for your promotion? When was the last time we realized that we don't play this flesh and blood game, but we operate above it we operate at a higher level see again if I can start relationally if I go in for the invite as the Holy Spirit leads if I serve as the Holy Spirit leads if I share my testimony as the Holy Spirit leads I might need to have an intellectual conversation as the Holy Spirit leads and at that moment when God gives me the window I might be able to go directly and say hey man let me introduce you to my best friend and his name is Jesus Christ this is every day evangelism it's every day event this is every day in every moment at your job, at your home, at the grocery store, at the servo. Everywhere you are, every single person in this room is anointed to the work of evangelism. Imagine what will happen when this church gets it. And I know sometimes people are saying, okay, yeah, Blake, this is great, but I needed like a message on strength because you don't know what's happening in my marriage. Someone else was like, yeah, I need a message on provision. I didn't need this today because you know my finances are struggling. Someone else in this room, you needed a message on faith because you're really holding on. See, but here's the prophetic word that God gave me at the beginning of service to release right here, right now. I release a Shunammite prophecy over this house right now. See, what, what, what do I mean by it? In 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8, it says, one day Elisha went to the town of Shunem, and a wealthy woman lived there. And she urged him to come to her home for a meal. And after that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. And she said to her husband, I'm sure this man who steps in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. And then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. The woman did something that inconvenienced her family and made room for a move of God in their personal home. And here's the cool thing. She ended up getting a miracle that she had stopped praying for. What, what do I mean by this? For this house, I speak it over this room specifically. 
there are miracles that you are desperately believing God for, and they will be unlocked when you focus on loving your neighbor more than you focus on getting the answer you need. Come on, stand to your feet with me right now. God wants to unlock something in this room today. We're about to unlock a whole new wave of evangelism in this house. We're going to unlock a whole new wave of hunger. I'm telling you right now, there are times where I have seen it, guys, and I'm telling you, this is sometimes the kindness of God. Any dad in this room, we get this. We love our kids. And we're not going to give our kids something until we feel like they're old enough to appreciate it, until they're old enough to look after it. So sometimes as a good father, we withhold the very things we want to give our children because we're waiting for a moment of maturity to arise. We're waiting on a moment. We're waiting for the moment. Hear me. When this kid stops begging for it and when he can just relax and calm down, that's the moment I'll release it. He's a good father. But sometimes we don't like this part of him being a good dad. But what if? What if? God is waiting on you when you have been feeling the whole time like you've been waiting on God. I believe this so strongly that this house, this specific location here in Morayfield is about to be unlocked. Miracles you've been praying for, breakthroughs you've been looking for, the answers you haven't seen, things you've been weary and tired. See, I'm, I'm honest. God has been tired of some of y'all too because like, will you just get off your butt and serve? Will you just get up and love? Some of y'all want a miracle and breakthrough in your home, but you haven't opened up your home for a life group yet. Come on. See, I'm telling you, see, there is something that God wants to do in this place, but when we can focus on loving our neighbor, that's when God says, awesome, finally I can love on you. Finally I can pour out the blessing because hear me, if we want God to be an, we want to, to be the inlet, God's like, cool, but can you be an outlet? Because God does not pour his blessing out into stagnant ponds. He is looking for rivers of living water. He's looking for rivers. He's looking for rivers. He's looking for rivers, not ponds. He's looking for rivers, and you want God to pour out blessings on you, but are you being an outlet? Have you opened yourself up? He wants a river, not a pond. I literally just met a beautiful couple. I don't know what campus they go to, but at the young adult camp, which was amazing, by the way. And I met this young couple. They've been married four years. I'm like, oh, yeah, how'd you guys, how'd you guys meet? They're like, yeah, we were serving at Red Frogs. We were just serving, and we were just met, and that's how we met. And next thing you know, look at God. See, hear me. Imagine had they said, ah, yeah, you know, uni ministry. Oh, that's, you know, that's kind of not for me. That's not my thing. You know, that's, that's for other personality types. Imagine the whole time God was waiting for one guy and one girl to be not so obsessed with themselves, to outside of themselves just put themselves in a place to love on someone else and the whole time God knew the moment they begin to think about others I'm going to unlock what they've been wanting the whole entire time that's how God can do it and build it come on just close your eyes in this place right now there's going to be a love thy neighbor revival in this house when we think about the least of these after this service, I want some of you to run to the desk, and I want you to sign up 
to begin to open up your life. There's a revival that's waiting, but it needs your unlocking. It needs your yes. It needs you to open yourself up. There's something that God is waiting to do, and it's time for you to get off of your butt and realize that everything God wants to do in you will happen when you decide to let him do something through you. So in this place, first things first, close your eyes and ask yourself if step one, you just need to allow Jesus in. There's so many things you want to do. There's so much you want to feel. There's so much you want to know. But maybe step one is you accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord or Savior. But not just this. Let's destigmatize rededicating our lives. Because the worst thing is not some hectic sin. The worst thing is the believer that wants to think they're closer to God than they really are. When we fool ourselves. You haven't seen God move in years. And yet you think you and him are just totally okay. But today, I want to invite you to A, say yes to Jesus for the very first time. But B, maybe this is your moment to say yes to Jesus for the first time in a long time. See, when was the last time you said yes? When was the last time you wept at the altar? When was the last time you felt his presence? When was the last time you were so hungry to see him move you didn't care what it looked like? When was the last time you felt that revival birth and burst out from the inside of you? When was the last time? So today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you want to say yes to Jesus, to repent of sin, and to give your life to God, or if today you want to hit the reset button, and renew your yes and renew that spirit and come back to Christ and step into fullness. If that's you, when I count to three, raise your hand. One, two, three, just shoot that hand up. Thank you so much for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. I'm so proud of y'all. God's about to unlock something right now in this place. Thank you for that hand in the back right there. Come on. God's about to unlock. Thank you for that hand right there. Thank you so much for that hand right there. God's going to unlock. Thank you for that hand there in the back corner. I'm so proud of you. God is going to unlock a revival in this house when we get hungry and when we don't care what it looks like anymore, when we just want to see him move. This is what it looks like when revival opens up and God finally has the space he's been looking for right there. Thank you, God. I thank you for that hand. You can put those hands down. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to pray together as a family. And can we just repeat together? Can we just say, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for my sin. Wash me clean. Make me new from the inside out. And from this day forward, I will live for you because you died for me. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on. Can we celebrate right now? Can we celebrate right now? And come on. And just lastly, 
if you feel stirred up to love your neighbor in a different way, regardless, if no matter where whether you've been saved for five seconds or 50 years, if you feel stirred up to love your neighbor, lift your hands all across this room right now. If you feel a stirring, 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 God, I pray that you release divine ideas. I pray you release strategies. God, reveal faces. Help them see the co-worker. Help them see the colleague. Help them see the boss. Help them see the manager. Help them see the neighbor. Help them see the one on the side of the road. Help them see the person on aisle seven at the grocery store. Help them see the brother they haven't spoke to in a while. Help them see that classmate that they just popped into their head. God, give them wisdom. Give them visions. Give them dreams. Give them ideas. I release a prophetic hunger in this house right now. We release a burden for the loss. A burden for the loss. A burden for the least of these. God, wake it up. Wake it up. Wake it up. We kill pride. We kill fear right now perfect love casts out fear in Jesus name and I pray the love of God begins to flow so strongly in this house that we won't be afraid anymore that we will not be afraid anymore that this will be a house of boldness of hunger of wisdom and of fire and with a heart that burns for the lost that burns for the least of these that burns that God we will love the unlovable and that this house will unlock leaders, influencers, world changers, creatives, ministers, business owners, people in every sphere of influence that will be unlocked by this house. We release it in this room that we will love the least of these. That this will be a house for when people walk in, no matter what they've been looked at in as this world, they will walk in this house and feel love. That this will be a house where people feel his grace. Where people feel that they can start again. That where they can have a second chance. That this will be a house where people say, I walked into the room and I could feel a spirit that just was different. People will walk into this room and manic depression will leave them and immediately. I'm telling you, people are going to walk into this room and evil spirits will be delivered from them. Because the love of God is so strong in this house. We release it right now. We release it over this house, that there will be a new wave in this room, God. We thank you for this region, and we take authority over every geographical space, God. And we declare that there will be inheritance and breaking ground in this house. In Jesus' name, I need an amen in this room right now. I need an amen. I need a shout. I need, come on, I need you to give them glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Lift your voice up. Lift your voice up. Lift your voice up. We worship you, God. In Jesus' name. Come on. Let's worship. Let's worship together. Come on.